0: Yep. Turn the other cheek, and if that doesn't work, uh, drop the iron claw.
1: Howdy! You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkoski. I'm Sean McAver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. They were the heroes of Texas wrestling, the legends of Dallas' world-famous Sportatorium and, the Sportatorium! I- Sportatorium, and the idols of millions of fans. For a few years, their star shined brighter than any in the Lone Star State before heartbreaking tragedy destroyed their empire. This week, we look at the triumph and tragedy of Texas' greatest wrestling dynasty, the Von Ericks. But first, what's your favorite highway overpass? In Texas. Well, I'm am ju- going to jump in and claim it before anybody else does. <laughs> I love just for the name, the Mixmaster. I mean that that sounds like a wrestling villain.
2: <laughs> I am the Mixmaster. I'm
1: going to tear your head off, Hulk. I'm the <laughs> Mixmaster.
0: <laughs> the ultimate heel. <laughs> I will strand you in traffic for hours. <laughs> I'd tune in for that. I had to think about this, because, you know, living in Texas, you cover a lot of highways. You uh, travel a lot of miles on Texas highways. And uh, depending on where you are and what you're doing, um, different overpasses can become your favorite. But for me, uh, thinking about it, probably the one overpass that I'd have to choose over all others is the overpass across... uh, palmer highway or emmett f lowry expressway if you want to call it that um of uh 146 crossing over palmer as you're you're heading into texas city proper um coming off of 45 that seeing in that overpass i come over and i see that stretching across ahead of me and uh feels like i'm i'm coming home so i think that one uh that one will almost probably always be my favorite some
2: good highway talk (laughs) highway talk in Texas. So actually one of my very favorite overpasses, actually probably my favorite one, even though it is somewhat of an eyesore is the double deck through Austin, through downtown Austin. Um, Mm. When you're at the top and it's moving, not when it's stopped as a parking lot. Um, When you're at the top moving, you get a wonderful view of the city, right? And of the Capitol and of Sixth street and of Congress Avenue and of, of the Lake so I, it is. Just, it's a really neat ride uh, if it is functioning the way it's supposed to and not, uh, like I said, a parking lot. Um, another really neat one is up it now in uh, off of one twenty one and uh, thirty five. Uh, there's a huge loop over uh, over that going uh, the express lane, and it is you can you really you know you can actually reach up and touch airplanes flying out of DFW. <laughs> it is so high. Um, but those yeah. are those are two of my favorites.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'll have to uh, to second the uh, that that stretch through the middle of Austin. Although I I hate driving through Austin because uh, that's probably some of the worst traffic that I've ever experienced in my life. Um, there is something special uh, about that. You know what? Regardless, no,
1: I'm, I'm going to change. Like say, skip the overpasses. Take the new tollway around Austin, where you can go, where the speed limit is 85 miles an hour. Yeah, skip just Austin watch out. and just drive fast. Just watch out for herds of wild pigs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do this. For the first few years of the 1980s, the biggest and most successful, most innovative wrestling promotion in the world was Dallas' World Class Championship Wrestling. Airing on local television, as well as, oddly enough, on the TBN religious cable network, and syndicated throughout the world, World Class was the home to a motley collection of brawlers and grapplers with colorful names like Bruiser Brody, Abdullah the Butcher, the Great Kabuki, Kamala the Ugandan Giant, Gorgeous Gino Hernandez, Playboy Gary Hart, and the Fabulous Freebirds. But the real stars of the show, and possibly the biggest stars in Texas, this side of J.R. Ewing and the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, were the heroes of the show, David Carey and Kevin Von Erich, the perfect sons of the owner of the promotion, wrestling legend Fritz Von Erich. By 1983, before the days of Hulk Hogan and rockin' Wrestling. Von Erich mania was running wild through Texas and much of the wrestling world. However, within a short decade, the promotion would be closed, and all but one of the Von Erich boys would be dead, victims of their own success and
2: unconquerable demons. Jack Adkisson was born in the small central Texas town of Jewett in 1929. He grew up a big, raw-boned kid who was taught to be tough, honest, and fair by his father, a constable. In the 1940s, the family moved to Dallas, and he became a standout football player and track star at Crozier Tech High School. He was able to gain a scholarship to Southern Methodist University, where he was a starting lineman, blocking for legend Doak Walker. And he also threw the discus on the track team, setting several school records. While he was at SMU, he married his high school sweetheart, Doris, although they kept it secret since scholarship students weren't allowed to be married. When the school found out about his marriage, they revoked his scholarship, and he decided to try his hand at pro football. He at least tried out for the old NFL team, the Dallas Texans. Some
0: sources have him making the team, others saying he didn't, uh, before he headed to Canada to try out for the Edmonton Eskimos. I'm assuming that was in the Canadian Football League. He played for a short time with the team, but didn't make a lot of money. However, he did meet legendary Canadian wrestler Stu Hart, father of future superstars Brett and Owen Hart. now Stu liked the big tough young Texan and convinced him to train to be a pro wrestler. Jack made his professional debut in 1953, but it wasn't until Hart teamed him up with a big Canadian kid named Wally Stryber that he became a big star. The trick though that made them a star was making them some of the most hated men in wrestling. Um, he he dressed him in uh, German army uniforms and had them march into the ring as goose-stepping Nazi sympathizers Fritz and Waldo von Erich, and thus the stage name was born. Fritz was a savage powerhouse in the ring and had a menacing promo with his rough gravelly voice and horrendous fake accent. But what made him hated and feared was his deadly iron claw hold, and this quickly became unbeatable when it was just applied to the beloved heroes of the day. Within a few years, Fritz became the hottest bad guy or heel act in uh, wrestling, selling out around North America and touring Japan with his brother, Waldo, as well as other Nazi gimmick wrestlers like Carl von Schober or Hans Hermann. He even returned to Texas, where fans failed to realize that hometown boy Jack Atkinson was now a Nazi villain. All the while, Doris traveled with Jack throughout the country, hoping
1: that he would earn enough money to allow them to return home and settle down with a the family. They hoped to have two children, a boy named Jack and a girl named Jill. Well, the first part of that story came true in Canada when she gave birth to a boy, Jackie Jr. In 1957 and 58, two more boys, Kevin and David, were born. But tragedy struck the family in 1959 when six-year-old Jackie accidentally drowned after being electrocuted by an ungrounded wire on the side of a trailer event naturally devastated both Doris and Jack. Jack stopped touring in the eastern part of the country, sticking in the Midwest, Texas, Canada, and later Japan. He also became even more savage at the ring, and he later said, quote, I just started blaming the entire wrestling business for the death of my oldest boy. I started to look forward to climbing back into that squared circle and going after one of the guys who I held personally responsible for all my bad luck. I got such a bad reputation for being overly aggressive in the ring that some wrestlers even turned down matches with me. Son Kevin later said that he thought his father felt such guilt and despair over Jackie's death that he tried to provoke
2: other wrestlers in the hopes that one of them would kill him in the ring. In 1960, another boy, Kerry, was born, and by this time, Jack and Doris decided to return home to Dallas. They bought real estate north of Dallas and started a ranch in Corinth, which is between Denton and Dallas. It's right off of Lake Dallas. Another boy, Mike, was born in 1964, and one more, Chris, was born in 1969. Jack, who we'll call Fritz from now on because that was his professional name, still toured through the Midwest, winning the American Wrestling Association's version of the world title for a few weeks in 1963 from Vern He also became a major bad guy for the St. Louis territory of the National Wrestling Alliance, often wrestling world champs Luthez and Gene Kaniski. In the mid-1960s, Fritz bought into the Dallas promotion run by Ed McLemore, and he homesteaded there. That means he stayed there uh, and based himself out of there. He won the America's title there numerous times. He also brought in friends from the promotions that he toured with, increasing the prominence of the Dallas promotion. Now, the Dallas promotion had always been centered around big, tough,
0: local heroes fighting off outside villains. So the idea of its biggest star being a Nazi sympathizer bad guy was always somewhat off during the period. Fritz stayed fresh by touring, but in the late 1960s was tired of all the travel. In nineteen sixty six, Fritz took over more control of the promotion and brought in a young Chicago wrestler and manager named Gary Hart, who he'd met in the Midwest to help him book the territory, I you know, to write the storylines for the promotion. The two bad guys got into a feud in the ring and on TV when Hart outed Fritz as local footballer star Jack Atkinson. The crowds turned Fritz into a hero or babyface in the vernacular, and Hart had his stable of wrestlers became the biggest heels in the promotion. Hart would bring in bad guy after bad guy to take down the now beloved Fritz von Erich. It was such a good formula that it worked for nearly 20 years, spanning generations when Fritz's sons became wrestlers.
1: From that point on, Fritz had full control over Dallas, which he renamed Big Time Wrestling. This happened in 1969 when Macklemore died of a sudden heart attack and it mostly stayed in Dallas for the rest of his career. And during this time, life for the boys was idyllic. They grew up in a wide-open prairie where they could play football, hunt, and fish. They were each other's best friends. Fritz had built a weight room and a barn on the ranch, and all the boys worked out constantly. Kids who grew up with them said that Fritz even tied them together by their feet, hung them from a beam, and had them fight upside down. Legend has it that Fritz did all this to prepare them for the ring, But Kevin says their goal was simply to become athletes, and the oldest three did become outstanding athletes. And the oldest three three did become outstanding
2: athletes. All three were standout football players, naturally in Texas. Kevin was a great gymnast, and David was an all-district basketball player. Kerry was the strongest and most gifted of the brothers, and he was a state champion discus thrower. He even broke his dad's old SMU record, according to some stories. Mike wasn't the athlete that his brothers was, but he was an affable and friendly kid, while Chris struggled early in life with severe asthma, and he had to take the anti-inflammatory drug prednisone to combat it. This stunted his growth. During the summers and on the weekends, all the boys spent their time working backstage at the famed Sportatorium, which was the home of big-time wrestling. And very quickly, it became apparent that at least Kevin, David, and Carrie would follow their father into the squared circle. As early as 1975, when Fritz served as president of the National Wrestling Alliance, he was telling everybody that would listen that he had five sons, and every one of them would be a world champion. Now, Kevin started his career in 1976
0: and spent most of that time in Dallas. He had little desire to leave Texas, smart man, except occasionally going to Japan or the Hawaii Territory, which he later said was his favorite place to work. Kevin was most famous for working without wrestling boots, which announcers put over as being a result of his desire to showcase his natural agility, but which he later said was just because someone hit his boots in his first match and he ended up preferring to work that way. David started the next year and quickly became a top star on his own. He often traveled to St. Louis and Kansas City, where he frequently wrestled Harley Race, but also had a lot of success in Florida, even wrestling as a a heel there. Bad guy. Everyone said he had a great mind for wrestling and would probably become the world champion at some point, but his real love was raising horses. He often talked about earning enough money to get off the road and just raise his horses. Kerry was the most handsome and chiseled of the
1: Von Ericks. He debuted in 1979 after attending the University of Houston for a few years and supposedly training for his shot at throwing the discus in the Olympics. Later legend became that the boycott of the 1980 Olympics robbed him of his chance, but in truth, he was already a professional wrestler at that point. Carey very quickly became the focus of big-time wrestling, and he became the biggest star of all the brothers. Business began to take off with Carey, Kevin, and David on top, and Fritz scaled back his in-ring wrestling officially retiring in 1982 after wrestling a match at Texas Stadium. By this time, Big Time Wrestling had changed its name to World Class Championship Wrestling. In the previous two years, they had expanded their presence to include tapings at 4th Worth's Will Rogers Auditorium, as well as holding big shows at Dallas' Reunion Arena, as well as Texas Stadium and the Cotton Bowl. They also revolutionized television production for professional wrestling by hiring a director who'd had extensive experience filming live sports for TV. Gone were the static long-shot cameras, and instead they were replaced by multiple handheld cameras, mics under the ring, and vignettes and music videos that fleshed out the wrestlers' stories and gave new life to their feuds. The end of 1982 would see the promotion begin its biggest boom ever, though, with a feud
2: that lit the state on fire. In late 1982, a three-man tag team, the Fabulous Three Birds, arrived in Texas. They were billed as tough rock and roll rednecks from Georgia. They were already well-known for runs as bad guys in the Louisiana Territory and on national cable TV in WTBS, the Superstation's Georgia Championship Wrestling. The birds were Michael P.S. Hayes, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, and Buddy Jack Roberts, and they initially came to Dallas as allies of the Von Ericks in their never-ending war with Gary Hart. Actually, Michael P.S. Hayes became the most popular wrestler that wasn't named Von Erich in the territory. <laughs> However, on Christmas Day, 1982, in a cage match between Kerry Von Erich and NWA world champion Ric Flair at Reunion Arena in Dallas, Hayes was a special guest referee. There, the Freebirds turned on Kerry Von Erich, costing him the match and the world title. From that point on, it was off to the races as the feud between the three heroic Von Erich brothers and the three cocky and arrogant Freebirds lit up the territory. Every match from that point on was a guaranteed sellout, and in fact, the feud lasted on and off over a decade. Normal weekly and monthly shows at the Sportatorium and in Fort Worth, as well as smaller towns like Denton, Sherman, Wichita Falls, and Waxahachie, were supplemented with spot shows, uh, what were called spot shows, which were uh, short-promoted shows at armories and high schools all around North Texas. In 1983,
0: the promotion became the most successful in the country, grossing more than $11 million. The world-class show was the second-ranked syndicated program in America behind only Soul Train, and it eventually showed on 80 stations in the U.S. as well as Pat Robertson's Trinity Broadcast Network, and in 23 countries, including many without official syndication deals. They found out they were the most popular athletes in Israel when someone on a Bible tour of the Holy Land caught a replay of the world-class show and told Fritz about it. Yearly tours of Israel started soon afterwards and attracted both Israeli and Palestinian fans. World Class aired in primetime on Saturday nights in Japan, where All Japan Wrestling, the biggest native wrestling promotion at the time, didn't come on until late at night. The boys were more popular in Dallas than even the Dallas Cowboys, and it's said that Japanese tourists consistently asked taxi drivers to take them to two places, South Fork Ranch and the Sportatorium.
1: We can't blame him for that. <laughs> the big Thanksgiving and Christmas shows at Reunion Arena in 1983 were in many ways the high watermark mark for the Von Erich family. The family won important victories over the Freebirds, as well as other rivals like Ric Flair and Jimmy Garvin. Younger brother Mike also made his debut at the Christmas show. Everyone was sure that David would finally soon defeat Rick Flair for the NWA World Championship, where he'd be followed soon after by Carrie, and a huge show was planned for May 1984 at Texas Stadium, where the best of world class would be on showcase, and the world championship would finally come to Texas. However, it was not to be, as tragedy would strike the Von Erich family and begin the long and sad decline of Texas' greatest wrestling dynasty.
0: Man, yeah, I mean, the Von Erichs, man, I mean, it's synonymous with Texas wrestling. You, you, you can't talk about Texas wrestling and not think Von Erich.
2: Yeah, that I mean that is in the 1980s like that early 80s you you had you had the Von Erichs even before you knew who Hulk Hogan was. You probably if you lived in Texas, you knew who Kerry Von Erich was. You knew who the Von Erichs were. And uh, and it's it's the interesting thing, you know, is that they you, they showed the show on the Trinity Broadcast Network and that was because Fritz was a a, a, a he had was a part of the 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 legend of the Von Erics was that they were a good Christian family and church going boys. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and so he was affiliated with Pat Robertson and, and his shows on Trinity broadcast. And that was, they shared a production studio and that was, that was, you know, how they got on that network. That, That's all it tur- takes. Yep.
0: Turn the other cheek. And if that doesn't work, uh, drop the iron claw. Yeah. Drop
2: the, the iron claw. Like that was the move <laughs> that, that was the move in the, in the schoolyard wrestling that, You could always you always had to win with if you if you got the iron claw on, you won.
0: Yeah. See, when I was a kid, I think there were maybe four wrestling holds that I knew I I wasn't I mean, I watched wrestling on Saturday mornings, but I wasn't like a huge fan. Right. It was just what it was what was on TV. But I knew like four wrestling things. There was like the the sleeper hold, you know, it's kind of generic. There was the figure four. Right. Uh, There's the drop kick. But I, the iron claw, like you said, that was like the, the trump card. It's like if you if you could whip out that iron claw, then, uh, hey, nobody is going to fight you with that. Yeah. It's
1: so, funny you say trump you guys, card because I got a wrestling move. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It really <laughs> works. It always stops your opponents. Is the iron claw. Uh,
2: you're going to love it. You're going to love gonna
1: it. you love it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it.
2: So, so did you guys, you guys were, you guys were from the Houston area. So did you guys get the Von Erics down, down where you were, where you grew up? Well, I didn't get to Houston until I was or in you, high school. You were, okay, Mike, you were in South Texas in San Antonio area. Scott, you were in the Houston area. So yep. did you, did you guys get the Von Erics down there or did you get I I knew who the Von Eriks were. So whether it was because
0: they were on TV or they just came touring or whatever it was, I knew the name Von Eric mm-hmm. Um Probably not one that we've talked about in detail yet in this particular show, because I think this is right before I—I I don't know. I, again, I knew Von Erich; I didn't necessarily know their first names. I, yeah, I, I'd heard the name Von Erich.
1: I, you know, everybody knew the Iron Claw, and but I didn't know that much about it. The wrestling that I. I had seen well this was all right before like all the hulk hogan's and all the big national scene exploded uh had been the texas wrestling championship we talked about you know people like scott casey and chief wahoo McDaniel. yeah so, so i didn't was the, this is a different so, promotion so, but, but so, yeah, so so younger
2: that. people younger people so we are at the very tail end of in our childhood uh w- of a previous era of wrestling in that the country was divided into territories we talked about territories earlier in the show and the French traveled around to different territories or promotions, but the country was divided up and, and segmented out. And, and Texas actually had uh, at one point it had five full-fledged territories. By the time of the Von Erichs, it was down to uh, it was down to four and really one of them was El Paso and it bled over into Mexico. So, you know, you had San Antonio, you had Houston and you had the Dallas office. And we talked about the Dallas territory. It was actually most of North Texas, but. Even even when you had you know the San Antonio territory and the Houston territory, still the Von Erichs were known, and that was what was revolutionary about them is they were really the first promotion to start syndicating outside of their territory. Uh, before Vince McMahon and the WWF did it in the mid eighties, it was actually the Von Erichs that did it. It was Fritz Von Erich that began to do it. There's an interesting story that in 1983. Uh, 1982 83 as Vince McMahon Jr was taking over his father's company and had dreams of becoming a national promotion he met with Fritz Von Erich and offered to merge their companies and make Kerry Von Erich the number one star and the world champion of the WWF and this was before Hulk Hogan became part of the WWF so if they had joined, what you know, what the, the you know, what would what would would there even be a Hulk Hogan today, you know, that we remember or would it would it have changed Carrie Von Erich's story? So wow. that's an interesting what if this what is if story, the story, but hmm. Yeah, but but Fritz actually turned him down because he he thought he was in a stronger position and he thought he would outlast Vince. So, well, this okay. is the kind of exciting, speculative
1: fan historical yes. wrestling fiction that people tune into this podcast for. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I, you know, you say that, but I was just going to comment on how, you know, the the story of uh, yeah. Fritz Von Erich and his, you know, he went away yeah. and he was the villain and he was the heel and then he came back home and he's like, oh. I don't want to be the villain. What what can we do to fix this? And it's like all of a sudden he's the hero. And it's like it's like yeah. this whole great story of this whole turnaround. And yeah. just that that same type of interesting story is, you know, it's history. It's it's a story from history, but it's also kind of like, look, this is the kind of, you know, we talk about people coming to Texas to change their. <laughs> their history yeah. and change their future and it's like well here's a here's a story of a texas boy that's gone away he was a bad guy and he he came home and now he's a good guy again right yeah. you know it's yeah. like that's it's i don't know it's the, it's, it's it's
2: fun it's yeah, fun it, to it, talk about it is certainly it is certainly a key part of of 1980s texana right of texas culture and you know, along with the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders and the and the TV show Dallas, and you know at the time the Cowboys were terrible. You know they were they were really bad in the early 1980s. Um, and really, the only thing that came close to being as popular as the Von Erichs, besides the TV show Dallas in Dallas, was uh, the SME Mustangs, which we've talked about well, too. Well, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, yeah, that's true. And they they kind of they kind of had a similar ending uh, to the story. But I, I I found it interesting. Another story that I read was about the Israel thing, uh, and I'd heard that story before. That they were they they found out that they were being aired in other countries, and specifically mm-hmm. in Israel, and they were the number one rated show in Israel. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing is is that is that you hear a lot of anecdotal evidence and a lot of story that um they 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 were popular with Israelis and Palestinians that. That 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 a von Erichs tour, and when the von Erichs were on TV, were the only places that Israelis and Palestinians would not fight each other and not be angry with each other at that time. in, in point of fact, there was an invasion of of Lebanon by Israel in 1983, and the story is is that fighting stopped uh, while the while the the world class show was on, uh, and then it started up again when the show was over. So. There's no real truth to that story. No one really has any proof of it. But it's it's still a story that's kind of come down in, in the years. So the, the fact that the Texas culture is such a central part of of this show and that it was exported around the world uh, and these kids, these boys, were the exemplars of, of Texas uh, is both fascinating. And then we get to the part two is a little foreshadowing is sad and ironic. We've covered a lot of icons in Texas history,
1: so we might as well get to the Von Erichs. Mm-hmm. The other thing <laughs> yeah. I,
2: I didn't say, but
1: I was like, I was going to say like, oh, Fritz Von Erich, probably the third most important person to come out of Operation Paperclip.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, hey, you know, it's hey, We're we're having fun with this right now, but it's (laughs) we're having fun with this right now. But as Sean said, um, we're right on the verge of some really tragic stuff, and you know, so let's enjoy it now and be prepared for a little bit heavier stuff coming up in the future.
2: Yeah, to give you a fun story, it was probably around 1982. um, I remember in wichita falls there was going to be a big match uh and and it was promoted all over the area and it was going to be Kerry von Erich versus king kong bundy and no one was sure if Kerry was going to be able to body slam that 400 pound beast uh, that was king kong bundy and uh so i remembered that the, you know i wanted to go to that show but i just you know i was too young and my, my mom wouldn't take me <laughs> mom yeah
1: That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or get yourself to brainstaple.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two Ns. And I'm Scotticus. And if you like this show, tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out to find new listeners just like you. And if you want to support this show financially, well, get yourself on over to patreon.com slash Texas podcast, where you too can become a come and take it Texas Ranger. We hope that you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants
0: you anyway. Texas wants to anyway. Sportatorium!
1: This is the Mix Master. Come down and see me. I'll tear your head off this man. <laughs>